Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church Audio Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's message. Enjoy, and God bless. Amen. Well, good morning. It's felt like it's been a long time since I've been here. Hadn't been that long, but it feels like it. So it's good to see you all. Before I get into the Word this morning, I want to just, uh, yes, just make a couple of, cover a couple of things really fast that I think are very important. Um, first is our South Huntsville uh, campus launch date. Yes. I mean, I can't give you a date. That's what I want to tell you. The, the, main, the main thing I want to say is this. Um, um, we encountered, and I got a rough, I'm in the, in the monitor, please take me out. Um, we, we encountered some unexpected things uh, that really has delayed our effort and our, our launch. You guys know we originally wanted to launch the 10th of September. Now I want to explain to you why that date was chosen because some people have mistakenly thought God said that. God did not say that. Pastor said that. And the reason I chose that date as a launch date is research has shown that the Sunday after Labor Day is the most attended Sunday of all days of the year outside of the religious holidays. So anyone who's planning a church, anyone who's starting a new campus, that is the best day to do it. So that's why I chose that date back in May, thinking that we can make it, thinking we had plenty of time to make it until we encountered some of the issues we did with having the totally architecture, the building, just different things. So we're hoping that we really get started this week with some of our, our major build out. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, hopeful that sometime late October to November, we'll be having our launch there. But I want to, yes, but I want to clarify that pastor chose that date based on statistics and based on the best time to start a church plant or to start a campus. That was the reason we chose it. Uh, also, if you will, remember to be prayerful about our, our Athens uh, plant, our campus. Uh, that's going to be sometime after the first of the year. We're still in the process. Of course, we want to get through South Huntsville. But it's, how many of you know that we very seldom do one thing here? It's just the way God does this works in this church. Uh, the Lord spoke to me at the same time and said two campuses, South Huntsville and Athens. Angela Waite, Pastor Jordan. That's what he said. Uh, so uh, I know it can be very challenging and very tasking uh, to, uh, to try to do uh, multiple things, but uh, I think our God is able to pull it off if we just stay faithful. Amen? So a couple of things for this coming weekend, very important. We're very, I'm almost positive this coming Saturday should be a pretty big work day for us at South Huntsville. Although we have a general contractor, I'm hopefully he will allow us to do some of the work that need to be done, like installing sheetrock. So we need some really capable bodies to come and help us do this work, okay? This coming, this, this coming Saturday, September the 23rd, um, for those of you who will not be there, the other big thing we've got going on, because again, we, do nothing, we, we don't do nothing, just one thing at a time. The other, no, Angela tell me that all the time. The other big thing we got going on September 23rd is it's going to be our dramatic arts open house and our casting call. We're really trying to get ready for Christmas, our Christmas production. 
as well as our Easter production, but really focuses on Christmas. So um, I think we've gotten very little response. If you want to be a part of our Christmas production, please uh, uh, contact the office uh, and let us know. Uh, I'll be here Saturday, September the 23rd. Uh, that's going to be at 10 o'clock from 10 to 2. It's going to be open house and, and, and be casting for the speaking parts for our Christmas play. So, uh, again, it's in the bulletin. I wanted to point that out. Very important. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Yes. Amen. I'm ready, too. Good to have Debbie with us it's again from uh, Warner Robbins. Her husband, Onesimo, is, is uh, over at our Five Points campus today leading worship. And we're also very prayerful that they will be with us in the next two to three weeks. We're really working on trying to get them relocated here. Uh, so be prayerful about that. Uh, God's really moving, and I know he wants us to touch every aspect of our community. And, 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 and our Hispanic brothers and sisters make up a, a, a significant part of our community. We want to reach them with the love of Jesus. Amen? So this morning we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4. We'll turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start our reading in verse verse 11. And I'm reading from the New King James. It says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all, everyone say, till we all. Till we all. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Till we all come to a perfect man till we all come to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But we're to speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is ahead, Christ. And from Christ, the whole body has been joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, everyone say every part. Every part does its share. And when every part is doing its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself or of the body in love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this church, for this people, Lord God. Thank you that we can come into this house and just worship you. Lord, fill this place continually with your glory and your presence. We do not want to be without the presence of the living God. God, even as Moses said, when you told him you would send an angel to go before them into the promised land, he said, God, if you don't go, don't take us in. 
let that be our prayer. Wherever we go, God, whatever we're doing, may your presence be with us. So, Lord, fill this place afresh and anew. And God, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I ask you to speak to your people the words of the living God. As I open my mouth before your people, I open my ears to heaven. Let the voice of heaven be heard in this place. Let the heart of God be revealed in this house. I pray that each person here is, is, is strengthened and challenged and brought to a place of responding to whatever you're doing in their individual lives. That the body, the church as a whole, may be built up in love. So Holy Spirit, have your way here now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it is so good to be with you. Thank you, Brother Terrence. Uh, today we pick up kind of where we left off last uh, the, two weeks ago. And, and uh, two weeks ago, I spoke a message to you in, entitled um, um, The Call of the Saints. And today's message is entitled Fit for Duty. Fit for Duty. If we're going to respond to the call of God that's on our lives, we must do everything we can to make sure that each member of the church is fit for duty. You know, um, my intentions were, when I did the message a couple weeks ago, to uh, make these verses part of the message that I did on the call of the saints. But when I got to verses 13 through 16, I realized there's just too much there to try to cover on top of what, what, what we wanted to cover uh, in the previous verses. So I decided to do this as a separate message. So fit for duty. It's important that we understand that ministry work is not reserved for those who stand behind a podium or a pulpit but ministry work is to be carried out by every member of Christ's body. So Jesus gave gifts to his body. He gave gifts to the church to assure that those who are called by God, and every one of us is called, Amen. are also fit for duty. Now, there are two perspectives that I want to look at this morning with regards to being fit. The first perspective is that of the individual, of the individual members of the church. Because as individual members, we affect the whole. When individuals are equipped and built up, the church as a whole becomes more effective or more fit for duty. The church is only as strong as the members who've been set in it. So Jesus gave gifts, fivefold ministers, to equip and edify individual members so that the body of Christ as a whole would be strong. When these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, when they are functioning as they should, members of the body will be built up in their inner man as well as equipped for outward ministry work. Yes. 
It's a twofold process. One is to build us up individually, internally. The second is to equip us for outward ministry work. It takes all of us, and I don't know what's going on with the sound, but if you can take me out of the monitor, that would help. If I'm not, if I'm in it. It takes all of us working together to fulfill the Great Commission. The, the, the fulfillment, the carrying out of the Great Commission is not the sole responsibility of fivefold ministers. But these gifts were given to equip the entire church for the task of fulfilling the Great Commission. This task can only be accomplished when each member of the church is doing his or her part. The task of carrying out the Great Commission is only accomplished when each member of the church is doing his or her part. I hope that hits you right where you live. Listen, guys, you know I love you. If you don't know I love you, I'm going to tell you I love you. But I don't want to tickle your ears. I don't want to make your Christian walk comfortable. I want you to understand the task that God has given each one of us. You've got a neighbor that needs to be reached. You've got a co-worker that needs to be reached. You've got family members that need to be shown the love of God. And each one of us has got to do what God has set us in the body to do if we're going to fulfill what God's called us to do. Listen, Restoration Church would never fulfill its mission if the fivefold ministers are the only ones that are trying to carry it out. We cannot do it. So what did God do? God brought you here to assist in this movement. You're not here just to fill a chair. We don't need any pew warmers. Find your place. You got to find your place. You got to find your place in this church. You got to find your place in your community. You got to find your place. Your life will never be fulfilled until you are fulfilling what God has called you to do. Every one of you is important to the call. So we're, to, so we're being built up into one body that is united by one spirit and is called into one hope. We're to be a body of believers serving one Lord in one faith, having been baptized in one baptism. A people of love and generosity who knows there is but one God and one Father of all who is above all, through all, and in us all. We cannot be lone rangers and fulfill God's calling. You cannot be a lone ranger and fulfill God's calling. Because God, Jesus by design, has made us part of something much bigger than we can ever do alone. So the gifts that Jesus gave to the church was given so that everything in the church would be properly arranged. That everything would be put in order. 
that each member will be built up, strengthened, encouraged, and released. Fivefold ministers were given to put everything in its proper place. Fivefold ministers are given to keep out of the church or to minimize in the church chaos and confusion because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of order. He is the spirit of understanding. An order and understanding that is needed in the church because Satan comes to create chaos and confusion in the church. And when chaos and confusion are present, the body of Christ becomes less effective. So be mindful of your temptations. And I don't mean your temptation to sin. I mean your temptation to be a pawn in the hands of Satan to bring chaos, confusion, or any type of separation in the church. Jesus counters Satan's moves by setting in the church men and women who would follow his spirit because he wants his body perfected. Jesus wants his followers to have every possible opportunity and advantage to be complete in him. So he gave gifts to equip the saints to make each one of us individually fit for duty, that the body as a whole will be built up and made fit for duty. Now, the word equip means to perfect. It means to restore something to its proper place, to restore back to order, to make whole, complete, or perfect. It is a recovered wholeness as when a broken limb is set and mend. How many of you have ever had a broken bone? If you had a broken bone, just raise your hand. Quite a few. Listen, when a bone is broken, for those of you who raise your hand, do you remember what that was like? What was it like? It hurt. It hurt? Huh? Hey, what else? What else was it like? Inconvenience. Remember how that broken bone, regardless of what it was, how it affected the entire body? Remember that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on. Doesn't matter if it was your pinky finger or your little toe, your arm or your leg. It affects the entire body. When one member of the body is broken, that is what it is like in the church. When one part is broken or out of order, it affects the entire body. Equip also means making fit, preparing, training, making fully qualified for service. It means being made fit for duty. Jesus, the great physician, is at work making all the necessary adjustments in the church so that the church will not be out of joint. And he does his work through fivefold ministry leaders. As God's children go through or face things in the world that can destroy their hope in Jesus. 
the leaders that God has set in the church are to come alongside them and edify them, to build them up. That means we must, must be mindful of our words as well as our motives. Amen. The ministry Jesus gave, or Jesus, the ministry Jesus has given, can never be about you as the individual or me as the pastor. Can never. Please hear me. The ministry Jesus has given you can never be about you. Why? Because we're to serve others. We're to serve others. Those who make the ministry about themselves, they violate a basic aspect of church leadership. Leaders are to help others see and understand the best about themselves and about the church. So whether you're a leader or not, I encourage you, let's stop tearing each other down with our words or our actions. Instead, let's work to establish in the hearts of God's people that which is divine. That should be our goal, to establish in the hearts of God's people that which is divine. The love of God. Faith in the cross of Jesus. Hope in all things. Knowledge that Jesus is Lord. That should be our goal. Paul identifies in verses 13 through 16 four things that will be the result of the saints being equipped and edified. He said they will become mature, they will be stable, they will have integrity, and they will create a body that is strengthened internally and growing externally or numerically. Verse 13 says the body of Christ is to be equipped and built up until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I know that's a mouthful. That's why I didn't try to do all of that two weeks ago. It's too much there. Fivefold ministers are set in the church to unify the faith of believers. Let's start right there. We're to unify the faith of the believers. Prior to the coming of Jesus, Jews practiced Judaism and Gentiles practiced who knows, whatever. Gentiles worshiped all kinds of gods back then, much like they do today. But now, no one, Jew or Gentile, is justified through their religious practices, but by faith in Jesus only. And this represented a major shift. It was not one side coming over to the other, but both sides having to leave what they trusted in to start afresh. Both sides. Think about that. How does this happen? It happens only by preaching and teaching Jesus and by discipling people in the ways of Christianity. Discipleship is so important because it unifies our faith. God has given all of us, listen, every one of you sitting here under the sound of my voice, every one of you that are watching it online and will watch this 
in days to come, God has given you the responsibility of making disciples. Come on, you can do better than that. I know you don't like that. You see, it's not just my responsibility as a pastor to make disciples. That's a very strong focus of our church. We have a lot of great things we do. I think that, 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 that creates a, 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 an atmosphere for discipleship. Our Wednesday night program, our, our growth tracks are amazing. When we get in small groups, we, we, we deal with different topics. People are being discipled in, in one thing uh, during a, a three-month period of time. As I shared with you before, and you know, I know some of you are uncomfortable with this, but just the few moments we spend in prayer at the end of our service praying for each other, that's discipleship. Say, why is this discipleship, Pastor? It's discipleship because if you don't get comfortable praying in here, you'll never do it out there. So don't fool yourself. Okay? So, so, you, so we, 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 we're made to be uncomfortable here so that we can be strengthened and discipled in the ways of Christ so that when we get out there, we don't freeze and lock up when someone say, can you pray for me? Or when you're out and God show you someone and say, go pray for them. If you don't get comfortable doing it here, you won't do it out there. I would go a step further and say, if you don't get comfortable praying here, you're probably not praying with your family at home. Not that, I know that doesn't apply to everybody. So I don't want to make a broad assumption there. What does discipleship? Discipleship simply means discipline. A disciplined one. So we set in place things in the church that help you grow in your, your discipline. Discipline means you, you're doing everything. You, you do things, something, oh, you get, you get so accustomed to something, you do it over and over and over. You know, I, most of you know I walk in the, in the morning time, and I, and I was out walking yesterday morning, and, and I'm coming out of my neighborhood, and I walk up Caroline Road, so I'm I often passing, you know, Parents taking their kids to school, they pass me, and some of you pass by and blow, and you know, every now and then someone pass by and stick their head out the window and say, roll tide, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I get it all. But I was out walking yesterday morning, I'm coming out of our neighborhood, and there was this gentleman, looked to be in his 30s, there with, with, with uh, like four or five, uh, uh, gentlemen and four or five, three or four ladies standing there talking. And I spoke to them, they spoke to me. He said, hey, my children call you the walking man. I say, that's great. I love that. Why? Because that's a discipline that's in my life. I love to sleep an extra hour in the morning. Just like we love for somebody else to do the work of the ministry. But I can't do what God's called you to do, just like you can't get out and walk for me, okay? We all, listen, we have to be disciplined in the things of God because it's a responsibility of every one of us to make disciples. Amen. It is a responsibility of every one of us to bring people to a place of unified faith and to the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go. Now, now, I know you're going to say what he's talking. This is his, his apostles, and he was. 
This is what Jesus told his apostles. He said, you go and make disciples of all nations. Who did he say that to? The apostles. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he said, teach these new disciples to do what? Come on, you can say it better. To do what? The most popular translation is to obey all the commandments I have given you. What were those commandments? Go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to do the same things you do. It is the duty of, of all to be discipled and to make disciples. That is how the Great Commission is fulfilled. And listen, making, I would even go as far as to say, making disciples is the highest calling in the church. May I dare say, even higher than the fivefold ministry. Because the saints of God, when they are equipped, when they've been fit for duty, when they understand they have been given a call and, and, and that God has, a, has, a, has, a, has a, chore, a task for them to do, when the saints of God understand that and they're moving out and they're doing what Jesus said that we're to teach them to do, they're, they're baptizing, they're discipling, they're teaching, they're preaching, listen, then the saints of God will have the ability to reach more and make more disciples collectively than the fivefold ministers can do as gifted leaders. We are very limited because of our number. We're also to be unified in our knowledge of who Jesus is. That's what Paul said. Unified in faith, unified in knowledge. That's why discipleship is so important. If you know one Jesus and I know another Jesus, we have a disjointed body. We have a disjointed body. That's why it's important that you understand Restoration Church. Who we are, what we believe, what our core values are, how we do what we do, how do we make disciples. It's very important that you understand all of those things so that our body is not disjointed. You're not off doing one thing and we're here doing something else. We didn't know the same Jesus. We may pray differently, we may worship differently. We may see things differently, but the Jesus you know should be the same one I know. We're being made into the perfect man, the man who has grown up, a man of maturity, a full-grown man. Is what, what, what Jesus is trying to do is grow the church up until the church becomes a full-grown man, a man full of strength, vigor, knowledge, and wisdom. One perfect man who's able to do more together than any one of us can do alone. In the church, some preach, others teach. Some heals, other nurtures. 
Some are set in the body as givers. Others are set in to administer what was given. To be that perfect man, we all must do our part. God has placed us in the body as individual members with different gifts so that the body of a whole, as a whole, may have everything it needs. Some doing one thing, others doing another. And only by working together can we fulfill the great commission. Can we fulfill God's commandments? Therefore, we must rid ourselves of the human tendency to overestimate, please hear me, to overestimate what we do personally and underestimate what we can do together. We can no longer underestimate the value of each other and the value of working together. Only when we've been made fit for duty and we come together as one perfect man will the church express the fullness of Christ. Our goal, church, is to attain the statue of Christ. That is our goal. Jesus is the standard that we pursue. Not in popularity, not in notoriety, but in moral character and in doing the work of the ministry. Each member is to grow up in him until we look like him, both individually and collectively. This church would never look like Jesus if you don't look like him, not as we should. It just won't happen. So we must grow up individually as individuals until we look like Jesus, and the more of us that look like Jesus, the more of us that's doing what Jesus has called us to do, the more of us that's touching people with the love of Jesus, the more this church will resemble Jesus. So each one of us must do our part. We're to grow individually until the church institutionally is functioning like Jesus functioned while on earth. The works he did, we're to do also. And Jesus took it a step further. He said in John 14, 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. As a body, we're to not only duplicate what Jesus did, but we're to somehow Exceed his works. Put that in your crock pot. And let it simmer for a while. We're to exceed his works. That will only happen when the body of Christ has been built up in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of who Jesus is. We must be unified in faith and we must know the same Jesus. That will only happen when the body of Christ becomes a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, a full-grown man in God. That is our goal. No longer acting like children, Paul said. Being tossed to and fro, but we're to be stable. A people who've grown up in Christ, a people that are not easily fooled through trickery and deceit. As the old saying goes, 
if you don't know what you stand for, you will fall for anything. Do not be carried away by whatever the newfangled thing is. Do not be carried away by whatever the new strange teaching is. Not just the newfangled things of this world because the church can be just as guilty when it comes to using gadgets and worldly attractions to draw people. But if the power and presence of God is not enough, I don't know what is, guys. Listen, if, if the power of God and the presence of God is not good enough, something's wrong. What are you after? What are you pursuing? If you don't want God's power, if you don't want God's presence in your life, and, and when we come together as the body of Christ, if you don't want that, you're pursuing the wrong thing. I don't need my ego stroked. I don't need to be made to, to feel good because we have the newest, greatest thing. Give me Jesus. Amen. Give me God's presence. Give me God's power. And that will suffice. That is enough for me. If Jesus is not enough, I can assure you something will come along and entice you. If he's not enough. Paul's comparison to a child is that of someone who is unlearned, undisciplined, or undiscipled, someone who is weak, someone who is unsteady, a babe tossed about in the arms of another. Do not be like children, he says, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Do not be as one who is being tossed about by the waves or the billows of the ocean. Do not be as one who lacks firmness. Do not be as one who has no settled course, no settled understanding of who Jesus is. Do not be like a boat that is driven by the wind and the waves of the ocean. People like this are not settled in their doctrine. So they yield to every new opinion and submit to the guidance of every new teacher who may come along and say something that tickled their ears. That way of life, please hear me. I'm, getting, I'm, 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 I'm winding down. I've got five minutes left on my clock. <laughs> Listen, that way of life makes you vulnerable to trickery and deceit. It makes you vulnerable to those who will con and deceive you. Even in the church. Yeah. I would dare say that there are some in the church leaders who are more concerned about building something that's going to make them look good than they are the people of God being discipled. As I've said before, you become who you follow. As a leader, we teach what we know, 
but we reproduce who we are. That's a fact of life. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And one of the greatest things that I hear about this church is when people say, you know, I really feel the love of God there. Praise Jesus. That means you're being discipled in what is the most important thing to me. Paul, what Paul is describing here is when, when, when we begin to form ideas or form opinions as like the throw of a dice. A person whose opinions seem to be the result of mere chance instead of someone who is disciplined, who know who Jesus is, who understand what faith is and how to live by faith and understand the importance of living together, encouraging each other, building up each other, not living from, from a position, from a place of selfishness, but from a place of wholeness. Verse 15, he says, we're to speak the truth in love. Truth is to be spoken. Two things Paul said. Truth, speak the truth in love. Number one, truth is to be spoken. Speaking the truth is the way to avoid error. Speaking the truth is a way to preserve others from error. Speaking the truth creates opposition to trickery, cunning, fraud, and deception. We're to speak the simple truth and nothing but the truth. Every statement should be one of truth. Every promise we make should be true. Every representation about the sentiments of others should be based on what is true. Truth is the representation of things as they are. There are no virtues more valuable in a Christian than that of love and truth. And may I add the love of truth. Love, truth, and the love of truth. Because the two things, the two attributes that describes God more than anything else is love and truth. So the truth is to be spoken, but spoken in love. There are many ways to speak truth. And leaders, please hear me. Please hear me. That's why it's so important to be led by the Spirit. There are many ways to speak truth. It can be spoken in a harsh way. Truth can be spoken in a crabby way, having a bad day. Truth can be spoken in a selfish way. But truth that is spoken in these ways tend to disgust and offend. So don't speak the truth in that way. But speak it, Paul said, in love. Speak the truth in love. I mean, my, my time is up. <laughs> Paul says, then we can grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Grow into the stature of a complete man, and that man is Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint, say every joint. Every joint. Not one, not fivefold, but how many? Every. 
Say, that, that, includes that includes me. By what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which each part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If you're not doing your share, this body is not being built up and edified in love as it should be. Paul uses a metaphor to compare the church to the human body where each part is being nourished, each part is growing up, where Christ is the head, the source of life and energy. Jesus is the one who gives increase to the church as each part does its part to make the body whole. The body of Christ has been fitly joined together. That means each member has been put in its best place, in its best place. When the body of Christ is fitly joined together, each member has been put in its best place. That means we've been properly united together. That means if you're a foot, you're able to help the body stand, walk, and run. But if you're a foot and if you're disjointed, what happens to the body? How can the body stand? How can the body walk? How can the body run? If you're a hand, you're able to grasp something. You're able to point the way. You're able to hold on. You're able to move things about. But if you're a hand, and if you are disjointed from the body or if you're not being used by the body, what does this church need to hold on to that we're not grabbing because you're not properly or fitly joined? The eyes are seeing. The ears are hearing. The mouth is speaking. The nose is smelling. You know there's a, a fragrance of Christ? Yeah. The nose is smelling. The heart is beating. The lungs are inhaling and exhaling. Every member contributing to the health, the harmony, and the well-being of the, of the whole. Every part is working as it has been set in the body, supplying to the body what it needs to live and be effective. Every part is producing with great results. That means no one is idle. Hmm. That means no one is useless. That means no one is being overtaxed or overworked. You know, it's one of the greatest problems in the church. Those who work are overworked. Because the statistics are that 80% of the work that's done in the church is done by 20% of the people. Now, I think we may be a little bit better than that, but you know what? Not much better. We got people that are overtaxed here, overworked. Why? Because some of you that God has sent here to be a part of this church, you're not carrying your weight. That's being pastoral. And that's, I hope that's speaking the truth in love. <laughs> but every part is providing to the body what it needs to live. Every part is producing what, producing what the body needs and we're doing so with great results. No one being unused means there's a mutual harmony. Nothing is disjointed. There is no internal collision, no internal disturbances, but a great number of individual parts composed of different substances with different functions that have been built up, united, and joined together as one man. 
one perfect man who has been made fit by the Spirit of God for the duty God gave the church. We need you. The body of Christ needs you. Restoration Church needs you to find your place. The world needs you to find your place. Your job needs you to find your place. Your neighborhood needs you to find your place that you may do what God's called you to do. Amen. And that concludes today's message. Thanks again for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that you have been encouraged and empowered to continue your journey in following Jesus through this message. If you would like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit us on our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.